Welcome to the Mike and Much Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I'm here not only with uh, my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman, but for the first time ever, Liz Trenier. What's up? Thanks for joining us. Guys, thanks so much. I listen to you guys, so this is really fun. Oh. we. Uh, so I get no intro there? No. Uh, Shane's also here, our <laughs> pop culture aficionado. <laughs> Um, okay, so the reason uh, we're doing it, this is a big show. We've got uh, Julia Michaels, who's a huge songwriter. She wrote Sorry by Justin Bieber, uh, Hands to Myself by Selena Gomez. That'll be later in the show. But right now, uh, we're going to talk about something that's been in the news. Vice President of the United States of America, Mike Pence, mm -hmm. recently said something to the effect of he wouldn't be in a room uh, with alcohol with a woman that wasn't his wife. He would not go out to a dinner alone with a woman that wasn't his wife. So that alone is, like, you know, pretty interesting. This blogger wrote, because I follow this guy on Twitter named Gourmet Spud. We both follow him. He's like yep. one of the funniest guys, huge Raptors fan, just pop culture in general. Politics a little bit. And he'd retweeted a guy. So this blogger named Matt Walsh wrote, I wouldn't dine alone with a member of the opposite sex either. Neither would my wife. Is that really some radical approach? So then somebody retweeted that and said, this is by far the most normal, inoffensive take I've ever seen on this site get absolutely annihilated by every single unwed person I follow. A woman uh, named Sarah Holloway said, it's a problem for women at work when men will go for meals with other men for business or mentoring, but not women. Yeah. So we're all in long-term relationships. Shane and I are married. Max, you're in a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. Liz, you're in a very long-term. You're engaged. I'm engaged. Yeah. There you go. So congratulations. Thank you. Very soon, you'll be a married woman that maybe can or can't go for drinks with a man alone. How do you feel? We'll start with you. I just think like I think it's I, I have so many good guy friends that are like my best friends. They're just like any girlfriend I have. And if my fiance didn't trust me enough to go on a one-on-one -on -one dinner date, whether he's gay or straight, like you know what I mean? Like that's just bogus and also you know he's he's a writer he's a producer he works with a lot of young hot like up-and-coming artists and if <laughs> the I more you talk you start to get really nervous no it's just like, <laughs> like but it's funny I'm like but it's funny because I, I think about that and I'm like well he goes for dinner with them after and it's like a one-on-one -on -one, like sometimes it's like a one-on-one -on -one thing if I didn't have that trust for him we wouldn't be in the same situation we're in a long-distance relationship so we gotta have that trust and what that that's bogus yeah well I, the power dynamic is the interesting thing you got to think about and why mike pence and, I, and you know i've heard a lot of other politicians talk about how because there's been so many scandals with like politicians like you know Bill monica, Clinton, lewinsky. monica lewinsky like hitting on their <laughs> intern is that to avoid any like discrepancy in or in an account of what happened in a certain it's like it's just easier for them to not be in a room uh by themselves with uh, uh, especially younger female. So, but that's not fair to the younger female. I know, and that is ultimately the conundrum because on one hand, you kind of understand why a yeah. politician is sort of protecting himself a little bit. But on the other hand, uh, you know, I think people get mentored and people uh, can develop like close relationships that really shape the way they think about their career. And then, and young females are missing out on that opportunity if they're not allowed to be have any one-on-one -on -one time. The bigger question, and I'll throw this to Shane, is can like a man and a woman have a platonic sort of friendship and go for drinks and there not be some sort of sexual tension or the potential for it to lead somewhere inappropriate if you are married or in a long-term relationship? Um, well, it depends. It, it <laughs> <laughs> no, well, if, if you're not uh, attracted to her, like if, if the, you know what I mean? Like if, if you're attracted to a woman and you're married, I don't think... Like, if, if the woman's attractive, your wife basically <laughs> isn't going to want it to happen. Like, like it's not that I don't want to go out for a drink with another woman or don't think I can control myself. It's that it would make my wife very uncomfortable. For instance, we're going to Coachella in a few weeks, 
and my wife found out that, like, because I just said, oh, yeah, I'm going with Mike and Max, and presumably that was it. Then she found out that Max's attractive manager, Ashley, is going to be there. <laughs> Ashley's going to love this. also, Kristen Nicholas is going to be there, who's also a female. And attractive, I'll add. And she got pretty upset about that. And then she's like, you know, the more I think about it, I'm actually glad they're going to be there, because they're going to be watching you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like that. I think it's less about the men not wanting to be it, and more about the it women was, not wanting their men no, to be you on can't over. It's more about the nature of your not relationship. Okay. Well, let's flip it. Let's say that Alex is going on some uh, teaching retreat and she works with like a hunky dude who she's friends with yeah. and they're all staying in the same villa. Do you have those same sort of uh, concerns? Well, I don't like, I can't even trust Max. Yesterday uh, Max, <laughs> I, I got a text from Ashley, uh, or sorry, whoops. <laughs> I mean Alex. Your wife. My wife. Max sent her a message saying, would you mind if we hung out one-on-one without Shane around? <laughs> and she's like, uh, Shane is is Max kidding or not? Like she couldn't tell if Max was serious. Oh, come or not. on, we there's more context anyway. Carry on with the story. <laughs> but but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like uh, so, I'm I I'd be worried. Yeah, of course. Would you mind if she hung out? With Max. I would never do that, though. It on a one-on-one -on -one situation? They're two of the most flirty people in the world are Max and my wife. I would hate that. He's uh, always but... touching guys and girls inappropriately. <laughs> I just... I don't well, know. I mean, it's... it's. I, I think it's a case-by-case, case, but, like, for me, I wholeheartedly don't care. I'm like, you know what? You just have to leave that shit at the door. You really do. You... I'm not allowed to swear. No, you can swear. I? It's a podcast. Okay, you good. Yeah. I can do whatever the I want. <laughs> yeah, it's all happening. Amazing. Um, but it's funny because, like, I think there is that double standard. It's like, if it, whether you're man or woman, you should be able to just go on a dinner date and, with somebody. But I, I do understand that the wonderful world of media, we spin things. We really, like, you know, you see somebody out walking down the street with somebody and all of a sudden they're dating. Or, you know, we do that in my entertainment show. So it's, I, I get it. Are they or aren't they? Yeah. A lot are of times they, they are though. And honestly, but they are. also like, think about you it. You think they're, they're doing you know, nefarious things? A lot of, look at Brangelina, man. We went on a trip to Cuba with two bachelorette parties and you know, men get the bad rap for cheating. Both brides to be ended up another guy on the <laughs> night before they came back from the bachelorette party. That is what? true. Yeah. Yeah. Mike and I went to start. Cuba and we witnessed it firsthand. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. I mean, I think context is Both really... Both brides-to-be? Yeah. Well, I have a bachelorette, you know, my friends are planning a bachelorette for me and I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that the main issue is essentially... Uh, if I want to go for dinner with a woman or my wife wants to go to dinner with a man, it's like if that dinner is enough to sort of break up the marriage or the relationship, then maybe it's not strong enough in the first place. That's one argument. I think that married people will go, well, hey, that's maybe in, in principle, but in practice, like one thing can lead to another thing. And it's like over drinks, you're having laughs. So it's like, why even take that first step and allow yourself the opening for something to develop? And so like, should we deny ourselves these friendships potentially? Because of where it could go. Well, everybody, I think, has like a work wife or a work husband. Not everybody, but a lot of people do. Like we have like a friends who like, oh, I go for lunch with them all the time. But I think the context of the job, I think, is important. So for your fiance to be going out for lunch or dinner, like uh -huh. after a day at the studio, that, that kind of makes sense. Uh, or if you're going out for with my co-host, who is my best friend, he is literally slap a dress on him, and you know, it's the same totally. as being a girlfriend. Or if you're going out for for lunch with some exec at Bell or something yeah. like that. That wouldn't be unusual. I think the context of politics is a little bit different because it's like, what is the reason that you're 
out and about at 9 p.m. after work with some young uh, young colleague. That, that might be – you might be asking for more trouble, unfortunately. Mike Pence is a different context than Liz Trenier or someone working at a dental office. But Each I thing think, is different. I think it's also – this is a moral of the story. I, like, don't get into politics. <laughs> well, right, you're held accountable. Well, not anymore. No, it seems, it's, but. well, it's, it's it's also you know it, it is political that he's going on these dinner dates with whatever, and I respect that. But um, I think it it seems like it's because of how people perceive it versus his actual relationship, right? Is that- I will know. I think as a rule of thumb, he will not be in a room with alcohol without his wife, and he wouldn't go to a dinner alone with someone of the opposite sex. Like that's just sort of a, a barrier that he's. He won't go be in any room. Without with, alcohol? Or well, with... with if, if there's alcohol, like, involved, he won't be there without his wife involved. Like, he wants to be around his wife. This is the, the, the quote that I read. I just think that, like, it's, like, basically, like, I think his whole thought process, or at least the way people are perceiving it and the way that these guys on Twitter have sort of approached it, is um, it's not that crazy to not engage with people of the opposite sex because of where it could lead. So I just don't do it. The question is, like, is that unfair? Like, is that unreasonable? It's an, it's an extreme point of view and you never say never like I would have a drink with a woman but if I was doing it every night it would be very suspicious no matter how strong your relationship is like I just told a story uh, on this podcast where last night what did I do I was cleaning sewage out with my wife we have a very strong relationship that might not be as exciting though on a one-off date with Max lead singer (laughs) of Arkells where he's being super charming you know the most solid relationship it's hard to compete with the beginning of a new relationship, because that's the exciting part, right? So you're saying don't get in those positions, those situations. Yeah, if you're going out five nights a week, you're you're building a, an exciting bond with someone, and there's a risk you could cheat, so why put yourself in that position? But if, if you're going out once a month with a business meeting for only an hour and having one drink, yeah. it's a lot different than... You know, you know, ripping the chandelier down at 2 a.m. with this person because something stupid could happen because attraction happens, right? And you might not even want to do it, but you're so in the moment, you do a kiss or a hand job or something. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, that was once, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Best night ever, bro. All right, you got to get out of here. I got to get out of here, okay. but I, I just think it's debatable. Well, you use it's funny because you're the most, I mean, I feel like you and Max have both kind of been very. Oh, oh someone's, someone's knocking on the door. Oh, hey. Knocking at the door. Oh, and then we'll just wrap this quickly. What did you say? I was We're say, the best looking people in the room. Yeah, Sorry about that. That's where I was headed. I think that's what he said, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know either way. I think there's practice and there's principle, and it's, it's an interesting thing where it's like, you're saying, every, Max, you're saying everything's contextual. I'm saying everything's contextual. Also, the nature of everybody's relationship is contextual. It's like just because... You know, some partners maybe get more jealous than others. Those other partners who go, I don't care if you can go over dinner with whoever wants it. Like, so it's like it, it is, really yeah. is contextual. I think, but but also I'll just say that there's some lines of work that like like where it's like if you're in like the marketing or if you're like a like marketing business or like entertainment entertainment or something, you have to, like half your job is schmoozing clients. Like the nut, mm. he's literally going out for dinners and lunches one on one with men and women alike, like two days two two times a day. Probably. So that's the nature of his job. If you're working in a dental office, it might be a little weird if you keep on getting drinks with the boss after work every day. Oh, we're going out for a few drinks, and it's just you and that guy. That's that means. A but the thing. entertainment industry is even more dangerous because everyone's like a sexy person. Too. <laughs> it's true. But people hook up with non-sexy people too. I, I know that. I'm you just saying it's, it's heightened. <laughs> I'm not. No, uggos do it too. Like you I'm just saying it's more tempting if you're with Angelina Jeez. Jolie. Um, but Liz, you implicitly trust your fiance. Yeah, but and 
you know, if he at, at some point in our relationship said, like, listen, I don't feel really comfortable with you hanging out with this person. There has been a situation in our past where he didn't feel comfortable with a friendship of mine. And I was cool with it. I understood it. But we communicated that and that was fine. But he felt it because he felt the guy had something for me. So that's what his energy, that's the energy he was picking up on. And he's like, I just feel uncomfortable with you hanging out with him. He's like, not that I don't trust you at all. So did he's you like, sacrifice that friendship? I mean, I just, I now keep that person at arm's length. I can't, I consider it because, you know, this is the love of my life and I want to make sure he's respected. But I think it's also, yes, it's totally contextual. Like, and to wrap this up to Mike Pence, all Mike Pence is saying in the, in the context of me, I don't want to do these certain things. And then the other thing, and that's totally fine, but then Mike Pence has to respond to, but what if there is, like, two equal, like, young interns? One's a guy and one's a girl. You're going to be giving the guy more opportunities. Absolutely. And you have to respond to that. So how do you make up for the fact that you're choosing the male over the female because mm -hmm. he gets more access to you? And that's just something he's a, he needs well, to be able to bring out both to. interns. Or you bring out both. But anyway, he just has to answer that question as a person as a politician they're like how he's going to be accountable to, to, to the fact that that there's one sex that is not going to be getting the same treatment all right i'm sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna Go. i'm gonna hold i'm gonna hold you there i'm gonna taylor swift this situation kanye oh. west it um did you just get a text from nate yeah he doesn't want me to be in the room with you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get out get out um so this is awkward isn't it it's he's a like you're in, yeah. you're now yeah i'm in a business meeting and awkwardly i need to leave because he doesn't feel comfortable you're in a room with three room. hunky dudes That's he's asking no no uh i, I have to <laughs> no. go to the interview that you're doing Oh, oh, go. So okay, I gotta, go have fun. Right. Good Thank luck. You. Thank you very much. I'll warm her up for you. I appreciate it. Thank you it. so much. Thanks for coming on. And it's if awesome. you guys we'll have, have a good interview, it's all because of me. Because you okay. warm her up. And if she comes in in a, a terrible mood? It's all because of Shane. Me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and his offensive neon hat. <laughs> okay. Liz is gone. We're going to wrap this, uh, throwing it back to Max. If Lauren were having dinner on the regular with a hunky dude from her MBA program, how would you feel? Um... I feel like I, well, she just finished her MBA program and all the dudes in her program are like very Im smart, impressive, like good looking dudes who work on Bay Street basically because that's the kind of people that go into that program. And she has spent a ton of one-on-one -on -one time like with the guys who, you know, give her a ride to school and, uh, and I've been totally fine with it or like they have to like do these like group projects where it's like a lot of like one-on-one -on -one time or group time like late into the night and something like that. And it hasn't bothered me at all. Only because I think my spidey senses are good enough that if like if it felt like she was like crushing on someone, I could probably pick up on that. But it's, it's, she's never it's really given off that vibe to me at all. So I, all the but these are all younger guys with student debt and stuff. No, what if it was like Brandon Flowers. Well, that's a different situation, man. And and then my, my spotty senses might kick in. I don't know. Right. Okay. Yeah. What were you saying? I'd be worried. Yeah. <laughs> I would. Well, what's interesting about what you said is it's like you're saying, let her do what she wants. She's an adult. Like she can have dinner with the, the people of the opposite sex. And if your spidey senses started tingling or you felt like there was something off, then you maybe have the conversation. Yeah, like the, the one Liz had with but, her husband. Right. But you don't say. just shut it down out no. of the gate. No. I guess that's, that's just what we're me. That's at. just me. So. So we feel like out of the gate as a rule of thumb is maybe a little bit uh, extreme? For me, yeah. But who am I to judge anybody else? Well, I think it's a, a, it's always extreme if you say, uh, I would never have a drink with a woman alone. Because there is instances where you can and should. Right. It's just, you know, there's, there's a line. And I, I, I think he probably sometimes maybe does. He was just making a point that's saying, in general, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. 
And I, I totally understand both sides, uh, you know, of having a strong marriage and trying to be preventative, but then also letting adults make decisions and trusting that uh, they'll be able to have a drink without falling madly in love or letting it go yeah. to another And level. everyone's been burned in a situation, like, at least I know, Evan, I know a lot of people, like, you know, I had a girlfriend go on vacation, she came back and broke up with me, because she, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. All right, today on the show, Max, we have Julia Michaels. Phenom. Phenom. 23. She's already written like 12 top 40 hits or something like that. Uh, She's stepping out, though. Whenever I see those kind of statistics, it always like blows my mind and also makes me feel very inferior. I'm like, what have I done with my life? (laughs) I got to get back to writing. Yeah. Um, Well, and she's, uh, you know, she's now stepping out. She's taking the leap to be the the artist uh, that is recording the song. She has a big song out right now called Issues. Yeah, whenever I hear about these co-writers, because her song is Issues, but she's done songs with... Selena Gomez, Hands of Myself, uh, Justin Bieber, Sorry, we mentioned that off the top. Yeah, and I really want to know, okay, what exactly did you contribute, and, like, how did the room look, and, like, how did it come together? Because those songs are so timeless, and I love hearing those little stories, like, oh, the Mac- Max Martin, he thought of this cool melody, and I came up with the word problems, or, like, you know, sure. and then it was, I just love that process of creation. Well, for the first time ever, I'm going to do this interview right now. So usually I do the interview, and then we record this after. We're recording this before, so I have no idea how this interview is going to turn out. So hopefully she gives some good shit. Yeah. You want to get to it? Let's get to it. Shane, you got anything to say as we leave? Let's get to it. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. It's been a busy day, but yeah, yeah, just uh, running around, doing interviews, lots going on. Mm -hmm. Not as much as you, I'm sure, though. No, I'm sure. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's about the same. <laughs> I'm gonna just jump into this thing. Okay. Let's just do it. Perfect. So you grew up in suburban California. I did. I grew up in Santa Clarita, California. What do your parents do? My dad does security for Paramount, and my mom. Like the studio. Yeah, and my mom sells uh, Lexuses. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, just very simple family. So how do you end up getting into music and the arts? My sister actually used to do demos around the city, and I got to meet a lot of songwriters through that, and I actually started doing demos too to pay my rent. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, yeah, and then just kind of met a bunch of people and started writing with some people and just kind of word of mouth after that, really. Are your parents very musical? No, no, not at all. My mom always laughs and says, uh, we got it from the postman. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Um, But your sister was into it. So, older sister? Yeah, when we were younger, my parents used to take us to this karaoke bar, (laughs) mostly so they could drink, uh, and we could just, like, sing all night. It was kind of, like, the best of both worlds for everybody. A good family activity. They got what they wanted, you guys got what you wanted. Exactly, exactly. And so... My sister and I used to just sing karaoke, and and then my sister just got really good at singing, and I just kind of followed in her footsteps. Okay, so bring me back a bit. So your parents are not really, they're not musical or into music or anything. So at what point do you guys realize, like, one, you sort of have the itch to sing, two, I guess, start developing the talent? Like, how do you even get to the point where you're like, let's go to a karaoke bar and sing? I think it was just something fun that my parents thought would be, like, good to do. Like I said, mostly for them. (laughs) Uh, And um, I never really thought of myself as a singer until kind of a couple years ago. Um, I've always been really insecure about about being a, a singer. I've always 
called myself a songwriter. Yeah. Um, maybe that's because I always thought like there could only be one singer in the family, and my sister was like phenomenal. And I was like, "That's that's you, babe." Like I was like, "I'll just go write some songs. You can sing them." Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until a couple years ago when I kind of started to like find my voice. So how do you? Okay, so your sister's demoing, and then you start demoing. Yeah. And like. Explain for our listeners how you sort of get into the world of songwriting at such a high level, at such a young age. Yeah. Uh, so through doing demos uh, for various people, I met a, a songwriter named Lindy Robbins okay. when I was when, 19. When you say demos, like, are you singing on these demos? Yeah. So basically, um, so basically there, there'll be a, a songwriter that will write a song for an artist. And if they can't sing that song then they'll have somebody like my sister or I come in that's that could kind of be a good vo- guide vocal for that artist. You'll sing the part so that they can understand it, they can yes. see it fully sort of realized. Exactly. Got you. Yeah. So I used to do that kind of thing. And then I met Lindy Robbins when I was 19, and she kind of mentored me, showed me kind of the do's and don'ts, and taught me that, you know, everybody kind of has their own method of songwriting. Not Not one method is right or perfect. Um, and then her and I kind of had success together right off the bat. We did um, Miss Moving On for Fifth Harmony, which was the first song I ever heard of mine on the radio. Yeah. And we did Selena Gomez, but that was my, my first single, actually, ever, when I was 19, a song called Slow Down. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I guess you're getting to meet these people when you're doing the demos, yeah. and then you're sort of cultivating relationships. Exactly. What's yeah. your sister doing throughout all of this? Is she also writing, or is she still trying? Like, is she singing and kind of working on her own thing? Yeah, she's actually kind of my assistant now. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I so know. So you guys are still so, working together. Yeah, and- yeah. I there was a point. So I I have a dog. Okay. <laughs> Which dog's and name? His name's Samson. Samson. He's ninety pounds of pure love and I just (laughs) he's so scrumptious I miss him so much um there was a point where I was just I was working all the time and I just on a whim got Samson uh and I was like what was I thinking but he's so cute I can't give him back like (laughs) what am I gonna do and my sister was like I'll help you out and I was like cool, I'll pay you. And she was like, cool. And we're like, awesome. And so she's been working with me for about a year now. And like, let me just tell you, she saves my life every day. Like she does all the small things in my life so I can just focus on being creative. Yeah. Cause she knows how anxious and overwhelmed I get. So her taking care of those small tasks for me on a daily basis is just such an ease on my mind. Right. Yeah. Was there ever a point where it was like you weren't seeing success or did like, so you've been writing since you were 16. At what point does it become sort of a viable career? Well, the first time I ever, so I did a theme song for Disney when I was 17, a show called Austin and Alley. Wow. And I think that was kind of the point where I was like, oh, maybe I could do this. It was like right around the time when my dad was like, maybe you should not do this whole writing thing and you should go to college for something real. And I was like, no, but dad, I think I can, I think I can do this. And then when I got the the theme song, when I co-wrote the theme song, he was like, okay. Right. I'll, I'll get off your back for a second. We can see how this goes. You're going to be all right. Out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's always such an interesting <laughs> disconnect to me. It's like, yeah. cause you know, there, that is the big question. Do I go to college or do I pursue like a more conventional right. job? And it right. can usually be a long stretch totally. but to get a, a placement on a Disney show at 17 is like a pretty good sort of yeah. encouraging yeah. moment to continue on. Yeah, it was a great moment. I, I mean, 
so many people try for those theme songs and it's almost impossible. And we were just shocked. I was actually, I was homeschooled a lot of my middle school, high school. Um, And I went to like a charter school. So I needed like math class in order to pass. It was like the last thing I needed to finish school. And I actually found out that we got the theme song when I was in my math class, which was really cool. And then, so from there, I mean, I hear about like songwriting camps and sort of where they'll like compile a bunch of writers. How does that work? Because we always like to get into sort of the minutia of the process. Yeah. Uh, It depends really on on the camp and the artist. Sometimes, I mean, really they're just, after a certain point, the songwriting world is so small. Mm. Everybody kind of knows everybody. So at that point, they basically just put you in a house with six of your friends and you guys just try to write like the best song for that artist. Sometimes the artist will come. Sometimes the artist will come and just talk to you about what they want um, or um, or they're like fully involved or sometimes they're just like... Um, do whatever you feel. Sure. You know, uh, it just kind of depends on the label and the artist that you're working for or with. But sort of that like brain trust, say the six of you, is yeah. it, are you working on one song or is it no, a usually, of songs? No, usually it's um, like say if there's six or nine people in the camp, they'll break up into groups of threes gotcha. or, you know, like four and four or, you know, something like that. Um, and then just write whatever you f- whatever we feel that day and have dinner together and then sleep, wake up, repeat for the next five <laughs> days <laughs> and then go home. <laughs> not a bad gig. No, it's not. Um, with a song, you know, like Justin Bieber's Sorry, which you have a credit on, specifically, how do all of the parts for that song work? Is it like, is that like a, a theme or a lyrical idea that was brought and then you guys are coming up with melody? Or is that something, like, walk me through that a bit. Sure. Um, so we were actually asked to just kind of write for pitch. And, okay, so um, just in general. Yeah. And so I don't I don't really know anything about him, uh, but I, um, I tend to study people uh, just in terms of their music and what they gravitate to. So I know that he kind of gravitates to more emotional, literal um, kind of music. Uh, so I just thought if we kind of stick in that vein, we might have a chance. That's interesting. <laughs> and, uh, sometimes ideas will just pop in my head and I don't really know where they come from. They just kind of come in, come in and, um, sorry, popped in my head. And then me and Justin Tranter, my co-writer, um, just kind of thought what's the best way to wrap around a concept for the title. And I think we wrote it in about an hour, and then we went and had dinner. And then it was out three weeks later, and we were just like, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah, it was... That's an extremely quick turnaround, no? It was, yeah, definitely. It was so surreal for both of us. Did it change much from the time you guys sent it out? Uh, no, not really. The verses changed a bit when we first wrote it. The verses had stutters in it. It was like, you go, 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 and get mad, 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 and my honesty. And then... Um, and then someone at the label or somebody didn't like the stutters. Uh. So then they had someone else come and write it and 
often like that, had us come in and rewrite the verses. So instead of changing it all completely, we just put little, little tiny filler words in there. So it's like, you gotta go and get angry at all. I want to see. still have sort of a bit of the staccato. Exactly. Like you still have that melody. Exactly. Piece. So we just kept the same thing. And then I think we, f- we rewrote it like two days later. Like it was that fast. Like they were like, we want this to come out. And we were like, okay, (laughs) are you sure? (laughs) Yeah. When you're writing, I mean, and now that obviously you're stepping out in front, um, I guess the question would be when you write for other artists, are you writing from your own perspective emotionally or are you looking at them, like you said, psychologically and going, okay, I'm trying to write for them. I'm trying to be in their mind. Or is it, no, I'm going to write my mind in my heart and then they can either take it or leave it. I usually write from my perspective. I always like having a couple people in the room. Like if it's me and the artist and Justin, there's three different perspectives that you can go off of. And I always kind of take like fear as an example. Um, So say someone's about to go bungee jumping or or someone's going to go perform. It may not be the exact same experience, but it's the same emotion. Mm. You're experiencing the same fear. So even if I can't exactly relate to their experience, I can relate to the same emotion. So say they've had their heart broken. I can relate to that. Uh, say they've been in love or, or they've lost some, somebody or something. Regardless I can relate the to specifics, that. specifics, yeah. those are universal things exactly. that we experience, right? Exactly. With a song like Issues, right? Um, you decided to keep that one for yourself. I did. And so you've had this like huge track record where you're writing all these hits for other people. And I'd read that this song was obviously a lot of people wanted this song. How difficult was it for you to one keep it just from the powers that be? You've developed these relationships. Like, was there a lot of pushback? And you're like, no, I'm keeping this one for myself. Was that a difficult thing to do? There was actually more pushback from the producers that I wrote it with believe it or not. Really? Yeah. Um, there were a couple artists that wanted to do it. And for the longest time, I had told people that I didn't want to be an artist. Uh, so when I told them that I was thinking of keeping it for myself, they didn't think I was serious. Right. Uh, they didn't believe me at all. And I had to kind of essentially call them and beg them to let me kind of keep the song. And... Um, I mean, yeah, it was not it was not a fun time uh, I, I trying to convince people that I was ready for this. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you said like, you know, you asserted I want this song and they were almost yeah. like, oh, she's not serious. And then yeah. are they like pitching it around and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. And then you have to put your foot down. Yeah. And then I have to I have to be the bad guy, too, sometimes and tell the artists like, hey, I'm really sorry, but I need to sing this. And luckily we live in this time right now when women want to empower other women. So I never got any pushback from artists. A lot of it actually was super supportive. And they were like, I hear you. Like, do your thing. Congratulations. Go get them. Yeah. Um, which was really lovely to hear from people that you look up to and that you work with. Who um, also want this great song. Yeah. And they're willing to be like, no. Yeah. That was a really beautiful moment for me just because you never know what you're going to expect and just to see like other women lift other women up is really beautiful yeah yeah what changed you said you didn't want to be an artist you didn't want to be the voice singing the songs you thought you were going to solely be a writer what changed uh I think I think there's a point when the insecure side of your brain and the part of your brain that tells you that you're not good enough starts to just become a little bit silent 
and um, your kind of slightly confident side of the brain kicks in, especially when you write a song that feels so comfortable to you and so personal to you. And I've just, I feel like I've hid behind people for a really long time. And when you do that, your voice kind of gets lost. And when I wrote Issues, uh, I felt like I had found it. And that voice had gotten really quiet for me. Do you think it's an age and confidence thing? Or do you think it's just that specific song triggered something in you? I think it's kind of both. I think, um, thank God for therapy. Sure. <laughs> because it has really helped me become more self-aware. Um, so I think... I think issues was kind of the stepping stone, but I think, I think with age you start to kind of know who you are a little bit more, um, which makes it a little bit easier to to for that next um, progression in your life. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, I was talking. Speaking of therapy, I was talking to um, Tom Chaplin from Keen. He was on the oh, show. Amazing. And he was talking a lot about. It was interesting because he's put out this solo record. Yeah. And I guess in Keen he didn't write a ton. And right. he had to sort of, this is sort of his moment to be more assertive. And he said it was really difficult with him because you have to be confident enough to put out music. Totally. Um, but then you also have to be sensitive enough to write it in the first place. 100%. And those things are usually juxtaposed. Right. Do you know what I mean? So yes. it's like he's expected to be all those things. Totally. With that in mind, you know, obviously the writing world, songwriting world is very competitive. Totally. When you step out in front you're going to be like open to scrutiny, judgment, and that competitiveness is way more yeah. visible. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're competing with all of these people you were writing for. Yes. Was that a consideration when you decided to to make the leap and step out in front yourself? Totally. I have terrible performance anxiety. Um but I think I wouldn't be doing this if I if I wasn't willing to be that vulnerable and put myself out there. Um, this has been a long time coming. Like I said, I've, I've told so many people that I didn't want to do this. Um, so this wasn't something that it was kind of something that just clicked, but it's not something that just, that I just decided overnight. Um, it's something that I really thought about. Like I said, therapy talked about it a lot, pros and cons almost every day for about a month. Um, so yeah, it, it was definitely something I thought about, but like I said, I don't think I would be doing this if I wasn't willing to be that vulnerable. Have you thought a lot about performing? Yeah. Because it's I, a whole um, other animal, yeah. right? As opposed to just singing. It is, completely. Uh, I Like I said, I get terrible performance anxiety. I laugh because when I do uh, acoustic performances, we do... Um, like Dan Cantor, he's my guitarist and he Canadian. Yes, he's amazing. I love him so much. Um You guys do acoustic performances. Yeah, yeah, for, for various radio stations and all that stuff. Um that's kind of how I've been starting, just because if I'm in front of people and they're staring at me like we are right now, yeah. uh I get so overwhelmed just because uh I feel like there's like they're staring deeper than I want them to. You know? <laughs> like just a little bit. Sure. Um, I told him, it's funny, I feel like I have PTSD every time those two, no- t- two, uh, string chords come in, like the dum, 
victim. I'm like, <gasps> here we go. <laughs> like my hands just start sweating. <laughs> like my, I can feel my feet shake in my boots. I'm starting to do this thing now where I just take my shoes off when I perform because a lot of the times when I do promo or I do um, performances, I wear heels, mm. and I just feel so constricted when I he- wear heels. I feel like I like I have to stand there like a statue and like I can't be free. So every single time I perform now, I just take off my shoes and I just feel so much better. Are you making strong eye contact, that eye contact you talk about, or are you still sort of staring past people when you're singing? See, Dan Dan tried to, when we do rehearsals, he tries to put marks, like markers up on the wall so yep. that I can just look at like objects, but it just doesn't help. Every time I'm, I'm, I'm in um, like performance mode, I think... I think it's honestly just because I so badly want to connect with people and I just so, I'm so desperate for connection (laughs) that I just, I just automatically stare into people's eyes. So. Even though that can be uncomfortable, you still, you can't stop yourself from doing it. Exactly. And then I'm like, oh crap, I did that. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. They're judging me. They're judging me. (laughs) While you're singing and you're in the song and you're thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess lastly, I mean. Now that you've made this jump out front and you're seeing success with issues, like what do you want for your career going forward? Is it is it an album next? Is it touring? Do you think you'll step away from writing for other people? Like, are you like, I'm keeping it all for myself now? I'm still definitely writing for other people. Um, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm a songwriter first. It's That's kind of always going to be in my blood. That won't change. No. Uh, and I'm going to do that for as long as I can, while I can. Um, well, the good my, thing is it's timeless, really. Yeah. Uh, as long as my schedule allows it, I will I will still be writing for for and with whomever will write with me. Um, as far as as the future, um, I I know right now I'm just I'm doing Radio Disney Music Awards in April and I'm doing Wango Tango in May and the EP is going to come out around May. Um but as far as touring goes and all that stuff, I don't really have any plans. I try not to think too far ahead. Um, anxious minds aren't good with... Uh, with Too far down yeah, the road. Yeah, too far down the road. It's almost like think about yes. what you have in front of you. Yeah, think about today and tomorrow, and uh, and I'm good. But you're enjoying being out front, being the, the artist singing the song? Yeah, I mean, it, it gets overwhelming at times. Um I think the most overwhelming part is all the small things, um, like the interviews, the photo shoots, the, you know, the, the perform, like all those little things. Yeah. But um, I think the most rewarding part is seeing kids sing it back to me, which is really special. That really makes me, because I've like I've always, you know, when you write songs, you don't really you don't really get that experience. You see the people that you've written it with sing it to tons and tons of people and them sing it back to you but you don't really actually get that experience yourself so to see it firsthand is really truly incredible yeah it's like you put it out but you don't get any you don't get it back exactly and now you're sort of hitting the tennis ball and it's get coming back to you yeah it's it's beautiful it really is thanks so much for your time thanks for having me Thank you, I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. You co-wrote on Hands to Myself, right? Yes. The song's such a great, that's like a bang, I love that song. Thank you. So good. Did you thank know, you. like, that song was hit the minute that you wrote it? I did, you know, I never, I never can tell when a song's a hit. I can tell when something feels, like, pretty special. Right. But, Did that I hit know. the pocket, or was that kind of just like any other song? No, that one felt special. Sorry, actually, was the one where I didn't think anything of it. Like, I was not, I was like... Really? Yeah. (laughs) 
Welcome to everybody's favorite part of the episode, the dessert. We are uh, actually in a green room right now for the social. CTV's the social because Max is appearing on the social today, and we're trying to squeeze in the dessert. So Shane and I have run down from the third floor where we normally work at 299, and we're sitting here. Shane, how's it going, our pop culture aficionado? Well, this was, uh, as you guys both know, one of the most taxing weeks of my life and I, I just got a little sick after uh, coming off it because I've been working on this big secret side project. Yeah. And um, also, as I've talked about, I'm, I've been going through a little bit of health issues. So I have a colonoscopy planned. Okay. So, like, bear with me for this story. First off, like, you're just, you guys are both going to have to, like, bear with me because it can be a, maybe a grosser story. But in order to get the colonoscopy, I need to take three stool samples over. And, is uh, the stool sample just your poop? It is, okay. but it's, it's quite a process. You kind of have to poop into like a plastic hat and then dig through it and uh, with a little poop spoon and put it into the vial perfectly, mix it up, and you kind of have to make it smooth like peanut butter. You're doing that yourself? Yeah. Wow, I, they, that te- that's technical it, work. I know, and I, I can't really do it at work because... <laughs> It's At his desk with his little <laughs> vial and his his little poo spoon. <laughs> but I thought may- we have a kind of more private bathroom. It's like a full stall. I thought maybe I could do it, but it's just too noisy to do in there. So I've just... Well, that's the social. Yeah, they're just riding up, riling up all the guests. Okay. It's, it's all right. It'll cool. calm down. Do you have to go soon? No, no. I don't go for another hour. It's fine. So I'm like, okay, I just have to do this at home. I ended up getting two of them done. And I have one more to go before they're willing to book my colonoscopy. It's like people are cheering for you. And then uh, my plan is to, because I had this big shoot, to do it when I get home from the shoot. And I'm and I live in Hamilton. The shoot's in Toronto. The first day after the shoot, I uh, luckily. Um, my wife was actually on set for the part we shot at a frat house. Yep. Because she was actually in a scene. So she ended up driving me home. And I'm just like, I don't know if I can make it through another two days of this shoot. Because it, w- it was very, very taxing. It was, it was a three-day shoot, by the way. And she's like, oh, don't worry. We'll just relax as soon as the shoot's done. I'm like, you're right. Here's the plan. As soon as the shoot's done, uh, they had this podcast called S-Town coming oh, out. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to lay in bed. And just listen to the whole, binge the whole S-Town series. I'll talk about it on the pod, review it. It'll be perfect. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Drives me home. I try to do the poop when I get home. <laughs> Why do I giggle every time I yeah. hear poop? This is a very serious but issue. But nothing's coming out. And I usually, I, I poop once a day, but nothing's coming out. When I'm stressed, my body acts differently. And this is a very stressful thing I'm doing. So I don't, I don't know what to do. And once I start the poop, I get a little painful sensation so I just baby wipe it baby wipe it baby wipe it it soothes me uh and then I just I just go to bed you know I and then I when I wake up in the morning for the next day at 6 a.m uh the cat is pissed all over the floor it's just and the the, my cat's stressed out too because we're not petting it because we were gone all day so we clean up the cat piss my wife drives me at 6 a.m to the next shoot location the next morning from Hamilton to Toronto Another hellish shoot day. We're shooting with celebrities. It's, we're always an hour behind the entire shoot day. Get home at 2 a.m. Walk in the house. The house stinks of poop now. I'm looking for the poop. The whole house reeks of poop. The cat has left a huge turd 
in the litter box. So I'm like, she went in the litter box. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, but it's still, it seems like there's too much of a poopy smell. At this point, I'm tired. I'm like, I'm going to do the stool sample on the last day. Another shoot day goes by. Uh, Do it. We're shooting in Union Station. We're trying to do more stuff with fire where there's like a scene where a guy like dunks a basketball on fire. The whole rim goes up in flames. So it's just super stressful. I get home at 2 a.m. The shoot's pretty much over at this point, so I'm kind of relaxed. But I'm sick at this point, too, from being out in the cold and the rain. So my nose is all plugged. Next day, I go to work, come home. Now I'm ready to listen to the S-Town podcast after this hellish ordeal, which was this secret shoot. But I noticed that Alex starts lighting candles all around me when I, when I sit down. And I'm like, okay, that's a little weird. Like, <laughs> what's wrong? Like, Alex wouldn't do this. So it's I'm like, thing and I can't me. smell because I got sick from the shoot. Uh, okay. So I'm like, I know the fucking cat is shitting all around the house and pissing everywhere. But I'm like, hey, what's wrong? She, and my wife's like, nothing. Everything's fine. <laughs> but then she starts sitting away from me. And my wife likes really snuggling up to me and, like, like smothering me, kind of. And I'm like, this is very unusual behavior. So she finally is like, really, something's wrong. And I'm like, something's wrong? She's like, no, no, just let me check something. So she opens the basement door, and she's like, oh, my God. And I'm like what? She's like, no, no. I'm like, I know what it is. We've got raccoons in our basement (laughs) because, and they're shitting everywhere. It's not the cat. It's the fucking raccoons in the basement. Anyway, she's like, she comes up. She's like, no, there's turds everywhere. There's floating turds everywhere. And she's, she's, she's bawling. She's freaking out. I'm like, uh, oh no, what happened? She's like, it's overflowed. The, the, the toilet or something is overflowed. The pipes have burst in the basement. There's shit flowing up the stairs. I'm like, oh no. I'm like, I close the door. Because I can't smell anything, so I'm a little bit more, like, sane. And I, and I hug her. I'm like, don't worry. My grandpa was a plumber. We're going to fix it. <laughs> I, I don't even know. My grandpa was a plumber, but I don't know. I thought it would be like, hey, I, I, I got this. I know. It, it runs in my blood. I know, I know plumbing. <laughs> so I'm like, we're just going to go upstairs, going to light incense all downstairs, and we're just going to hide out for tonight. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and uh, we're going to call a plumber, and they're going to take care of it. And I don't care if it costs $10,000. We're not doing this. The plumber will do it. She's like, okay. So next day goes by. Uh, my wife calls the plumber, comes. I'm checking up. I'm like, how's it going? She's like, he's there. He left. I'm like, how'd it go? She's like, I'll tell you later. Oh, that's not good. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I just call her at this point. She goes, and then she's, she's kind of laughing when I call her. But then the laugh turns into a cry. Oh, yeah, she's like, <laughs> he said it was the worst clog he's ever seen in 42 years. <laughs> and I'm like, how old is this plumber? You know, 42 years? Like, let's get a young guy who can handle it. <laughs> and then she's like, he asked how many babies we had because there were so many baby wipes. <laughs> so the oh. problem was I was overusing baby wipes and putting and every night I'm just using a ton and just shoving them down the toilet and flushing I didn't know but apparently you need something called a diaper genie and you keep it beside the toilet and you throw the baby wipes in there uh, a lesson for us all so he wouldn't clean up the shit so basically Alex is like I was gonna surprise you and I'm buying a hazmat suit and a gas mask and all this <laughs> stuff and she was going to do it 
herself. Oh, what a And sick. when I came home, all the poop was going to be cleaned, and she was just going to do it so we could listen to the S-Town podcast. But I'm like, I'm like getting kind of mad because that's humiliating. If she was the, my fault, she, my wife cleans it all up, and she's going to tell people that I didn't help. So I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, no. I'm like, we're going to do it as a team. <laughs> I don't even say, like, I'm going to do it alone. <laughs> My fault. Yeah, we'll do it together. So I'm like, we're going to do it as a team, buy all these hazmat suits, do all this. I'm like, we're going we're gonna to have a nice meal beforehand. We're going to go for a nice Italian dinner, get a little bit drunk, and go down there and just do it. So then that's exactly what happened. And then I had to, like, literally grab shit with my bare hands for four hours and put it into a uh, oh garbage bin and then take it out. <sighs> Wait, what, did you ever get the sample? No, I, I didn't. I didn't have time to get the sample. I, <laughs> I still don't have the sample. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you for listening. You can find the podcast wherever podcasts are found. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, all that. Uh, but leave a re- rating and comment, please, in the iTunes uh, thing, because that makes a huge difference for the show. The artwork is provided by Jenna Gregory at jennasdoodles.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Mike on Much. The Mike on Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I am your host, Mike Bierman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.